Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. So in light of all that's going on in the news, and if you're wondering what that is, it's opiate addiction is on the rise. It's not getting better. In fact, it's getting far worse. Just in Jefferson County, Kentucky, which is not a place I would normally think, oh, heroin, uh, the fentanyl-related deaths in 2015 were 26. In 2016, 139. By January of 2017, they were 695. They had 52 overdose calls in a 32-hour period just a couple of weeks ago. Um, also, as me for me personally, I have lost two people that I knew in the past three weeks to a heroin overdose. Um, people who just went out and relapsed, and now the stuff is cut with hardcore fentanyl. It's scary. I can tell you that there's nothing you can do as a family member. We had my mom on last week, and um, I think... You know, she reiterated this. There's there's nothing you can do to stop your loved one from using. You can't get someone clean. I mean, maybe you can by force, but you can't get somebody to stay clean, and that's what's important. There are things you can do, and one of them is the naltrexone implant, which has um, gotten a lot of press since this interview that we did. We did an interview last year with Dr. Genovese, who is the chief medical officer at Sierra Tucson, and Chloe O'Reilly of My Life Recovery about the naltrexone implant and what it does. And I completely support this. Here's why. As an addict, you have moments of clarity, you know, where you wake up with 60 days clean and sober and you feel really good and you're like, I never want to go back out there and use again. Unfortunately, when you have maybe, who knows, it could be six months, it could be nine months clean and sober, you could have the idea, because your disease wants you to think that you don't have a disease, your disease could tell you, you know what, you can use again, just use once, it's not going to hurt. And that could be the time that kills you. With the naltrexone implant, that can't happen, because you've got naloxone inside of you. You've got Narcan inside of you. So we are revisiting two very important episodes on Radio Rehab. We've got the naltrexone implant episode and coming up later in the week, the overdose prevention part of Overdose Awareness Month episode. These are things that you can do to help keep your loved ones who are addicts alive. This show is always dedicated to the ones who didn't make it, but this week especially because we've lost so many in the past month. This really goes out to those ones who couldn't find their peace while they were still here on the planet with us. If you would like to email us, it's radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Radio Rehab Dana. So join us in the naltrexone implant interview with Dr. Genevieve and Chloe O'Reilly. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab, The Relapse. I'm your host, Dana Keys. If you would like to call or text, the number is 415-496-9511. Email radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Radio Rehab Dana. So I am here today with some very special guests. As usual, producer Shar is in studio. And our two very special guests are Dr. Mike Genovese, of Sierra Tucson Medical Center. Hey, Dana. Hi. And Chloe O'Reilly, Director and Lead Patient Advocate at My Life Recovery Centers. 
Great to be here, Dana. So welcome, you guys. This is this is really. Um, I just want to say a subject after my own heart, being that I'm a recovering opiate addict, and how huge opiates seem to be in the news right now. Um, I was just talking to someone yesterday about how I'm, heroin was my drug of choice, and. I remember at the end of my using seeing these kids that came from these very well-to-do families that I, you know it was like how did you get here how and it was all because well uh, I had I was prescribed oxycotton for some pain and then I was like and then they took it away and I felt like I needed it and then I had to get it on the streets and eighty dollars a pill is a lot more than heroin and it's like wow that's a crazy reason to use heroin in my mind you know heroin was such like. It was very, it has the stigma to mm. most people. It's such a common story. We hear that all the it's time. Cra- it's crazy. I mean, mm. when I started using, though, that wasn't that wasn't the deal. But now painkillers are turning, making addicts out of people who wouldn't be. It yeah. is. I mean, that's why you're seeing the CDC has introduced guidelines about mm-hmm. the use of pain medication outside of cancer pain. And, yeah, you're right, the numbers. When you think about the numbers, the, the numbers have quadrupled since 1999 of opiate-related deaths. Yeah, Staggering. it's amazing. And, and it takes somebody, I think, you know, like Prince to die for people to go, oh, my God, wait, why? Because he didn't have to, you know, and to become addicted in your mid 50s and somebody and he was somebody who like had a clean history. He didn't really use drugs. You know, he was religious and he took it for his hips and then he couldn't stop taking it. But I know in the end, that's what I think the saddest part was. He was trying to go on, I think, Suboxone therapy or take buprenorphine in order but it was too late. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I think I think that this sort of came out of, you know, pain had been sort of undertreated, or at least people thought it was undertreated. And I think a lot of well-meaning doctors were trying to help people out without any idea of how bad this was going to get Yeah. down the line. And the story that you told is one that I hear all the time. And it's not a disease that's relegated just to the stereotypic drug addict that we all grew up thinking yeah the guy right? in the gutter right it's it's everyone now it's across the board in every state exactly i know it's i also feel like if young opiate addicts could get some time under their belt because i know my parents my, my father was in recovery and my parents were trying to get me to get clean and sober for so long before i was ready but it's kind of like if i had something in place that could just put time between you know my last use and, you know, hopefully not a relapse. Like, for example, what we're going to talk about today is naltrexone. I wonder how, if, if my story would be different if I would have more time clean, you know, if I would have gotten clean when I was really young, maybe. Because uh, it was, back then, naltrexone was something that you took in a pill. Yes. So it gave you the option to not take it. Exactly. Right. And, you know, especially once when I had the weekend off, I was in, out, I was doing aftercare after I went through a treatment center and I was using and I came in on Monday and they decided to make me start taking naltrexone and I was like oh that's okay I'll just cheek it and spit it out mm-hmm. well you it gets into your blood quickly you know much like an abuse and I mean I never wanted to feel that again that because that, yeah. it made me go through immediate withdrawal syndromes yeah. so I'm very interested to know about the naltrexone implant for can you can you guys describe what naltrexone is for people who don't know Sure. Well, naltrexone, uh, we've been using for years. Uh, When I was an outpatient psychiatrist, I prescribed naltrexone all the time for patients because it's a fantastic medication. And it kind of works on your reward system in your brain, uh, decreases cravings, and it completely blocks what they call opiate receptors. So even if you do use an opiate, if you're on the naltrexone, it won't get you high. The problem is exactly what you described. I would prescribe it for somebody and think everything's great, 
And then they would decide, well, on Friday, I want to use so they could just stop taking it. Right. So compliance was really the big issue. So the idea of having a delivery system where compliance is taken out of the picture for a psychiatrist is just such a phenomenal thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of our patients uh, that were coming in, surprisingly, were already taking naltrexone in pill form, and we're coming in to discuss our program. And I would say, well, if you're already using naltrexone, how can we help you? And how they described it was that every day they had to look themselves in the mirror and decide if they were going to stay clean and sober that day, or did they maybe want to have a drink later? Wow. Or maybe this was going to be a stressful day, and so maybe I'm not going to take it, because you know what, maybe just, just today I'll drink. And they had to have that battle with themselves. And most people will tell you, um, with addiction, you don't often trust yourself. Oh, you can't. The, right? d- the disease voice sounds just like my own. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so the compliance thing became a problem. And so what they would say is, I'm tired of the psychological warfare that goes on every morning. I don't want to be in control of that decision anymore. And so by having this delivery system where it's um, placed underneath the skin and it's working every day, whether you want it to or not, whether you're stressed out or not, whether you have a bad day or not, whether you broke up with your boyfriend or not, right? They thought that was fantastic. And how the patients described that is that relief, that freedom from having to make that decision made all the difference in the, their, the world for them to show up for the recovery in a different way. Yeah, I can imagine because they have to. It's another incentive. Uh, out of curiosity, where does the implant go? So the implant is um, placed uh, in the abdomen under the skin. There's a small incision that's just underneath the belly button, less than an inch. Um, and there's 10 pellets that are placed on one side and 10 pellets that are placed on the other side. And these pellets are very tiny. Um, they're tiny. They're, so I used to have a hamster when I was young, right? Those little t- pellets, it's smaller than that. Uh-huh. Um, so they're placed under the abdomen um, and then just a few stitches. Um, and it heals really nice. I mean, it's like such a minor thing. Um, and uh, it dissolves in your system. Um, over a period of six to 12 months, depending on your metabolism. So it's working for that period of time. And it doesn't have to be removed. So a lot of times when people hear the word implant, um, they think that it's something that has to be taken out. This just dissolves and it just goes away over time. I see. Yeah. So that's fantastic. And so the way this is set up is it's an easy procedure. It's about... 15, 20 minutes um, in a doctor's office. Um, it's local anesthetic um, on the skin. You're not put out. Um, there's n- no effects after. So uh, a lot of what people worry about when they're looking for any kind of treatment is the time away from work. How do I explain to the boss I need time off? You don't right. really need time off for this. You don't have time away from your family. You're not going anywhere. And the beautiful thing about it is once you have that procedure, it starts to work. The naltrexone starts, like you just said, right? It starts to work quickly. So most people are saying that within a couple, two, three hours after the procedure, they are feeling the relief from the cravings that quickly. Really? It's shocking. Yeah, most people are really How does naltrexone, um, how does it work to block cravings? What, which part of the... So there's a, there's a part of the brain where um, it's dopamine's involved. Mm-hmm. And, and craving, dopamine is involved in reward. And there's this circuit between the nucleus accumbens and the ventral tegmental area. And I could keep going on and on and we could all go to sleep if we talk right. about all of that. Well, that I t- know there's like an agonist, a partial agonist, an agonist and, antagonist, and all that stuff is... And this is a complete opiate antagonist. Okay. Right? So it completely right. blocks the opiate receptors. And it's an interesting medication because uh, it works for alcohol. It works for opiates. And there's lots of investigation into other disease states. So they're looking at naltrexone for things like binge eating. They're looking at it for things like kleptomania. All really? Sorts of yeah, all sorts of impulsive behavior um, that 
that needs to be treated with medicine. And so for, a, you know, for a doctor like me, who's, you know, had this medicine at our sort of fingertips for a long time, now seeing it being investigated for new uh, indications and being used in new and innovative ways, uh, it's really exciting because right now we really see a need of it. Yeah. Chloe and I were talking before, there's never been a time of greater need yeah, than there is now. Yeah. yeah, because opiates are so easy to get. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about the patients we're seeing is, you know, we, we say that this is um, uh, indicated for treatment of alcohol and opiates. But what happens for a lot of our patients is that they have other addictions. So what Dr. Genovese was saying, whether it's food or um, gambling or um, some other addiction, pot is a big one um, uh, for folks, uh, that they see a decrease in those cravings and sometimes are able to stop that use just because they're being treated for the opiate or the alcohol because the naltrexone's in their system. Now, we don't wow. treat that, but it's sort of a side effect, if you will, um, yeah. of having naltrexone in your system. I, so as far as, but so it doesn't block the effects of alcohol though, right? It's not like an anabuse type no, thing. No, so it's not like anabuse where you'll get sick. Right, it. right. But what patients will tell me is that if they do have a slip and they have a drink, it's kind of like instead of having 10, they'll have one and they'll say, uh, I didn't even really enjoy that. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is so, and the other thing we were talking about earlier uh, is the importance of treatment when you come in. And I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, even though this last time I did it, I will, of course, I did a medical detox. I don't even think sobriety should be considered without a medical detox because right. you could die, right. you know, and people don't realize Dangerous. that. But yeah. yeah, people are like, it's mind over matter. I'm like, no, it's body over everything, yes. pretty much, yeah. you know? That's You're right. correct. But like, so then it's like, it's, I've been in so many rehabs. I was able to do it strictly, you know, it wasn't 90-90. I did probably like 590 as far as meetings go this last time. But I had been in treatment centers so many times that I know it is necessary because you can't just detox for four days and go back into that house where you were using and where all those triggers are there and you're looking. I mean, even just the fact that you're looking at the same wall that you were looking at when you were like, how am I going to get drugs? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we can all agree about this. So we, you know, at Sierra Tucson, we generally have people for 30 days. And I think I'm biased, but I think we're pretty much the best at what we do. But we talk all the time about continuing care, how 30 days is enough time to sort of recalibrate, reset and go forward. So the ideas that we're talking about perfectly complement each other because someone can come in and we've had patients who have come in and they've gone through a detoxification process and then we started them with some of their family work and some of the other medication management that they might need. But it's really the 90 days, 90 months, the rest of their life that they're working with. It's a chronic disease. Oh, yeah. It's not an acute disease. Yeah, as they say, uh, as they say in the program, while you're sitting there in a meeting, your disease is in the parking lot doing Mm -hmm. push-ups. Yeah. And I mean, I've noticed that. I mean, I think that's, that's, even though I used to hate the cliches when I was younger, you know, and roll my eyes, it's still, that's one of the things I've noticed that's so true. I mean, just recently, when I sprained my foot, my sponsor was like, oxycodone is not what we're looking for. And, I, you know, at first I was offended. I was like, come, really? Like, I'm going to blow my time over that? You know, but then I was just thinking, but what if they offered me, you know, if it was possible to even find a vein anymore? If, what if they offered me a morphine drip? I could imagine my head going, well, you are in pain. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, right. I can't, I can't trust that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think your disease always needs to be under some kind of care. Absolutely. Well, and you know, listen, people have pain and we have to honor that. And we have a, com- yeah. we have a complex pain program at Sierra Tucson where we look at alternatives to uh, opiates 
for treatment, uh, which would be consistent with what we're doing here because um, there's no, listen, pain can be subjective, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. two different people can experience the same stimulus differently and the same person can experience the same different stimulus differently at different times. So um, I think that a lot of what the neuroscience is going to be looking towards is new ways of treating pain. Uh, because think about it, they call them pain killers. They do kill pain. They also kill emotional pain. Exactly. I, I mean, I even knew back in the day, I knew a dealer who would also sell pills. And he would ask people jokingly, he's like, are you, are, do you hurt or is this for the pain of life? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, right. it's, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I don't like my, situ- my current situation, so I want to numb. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what it is. I think that that's the case for a lot of people. So ideally, what we try to do is get people off their opiates so we can see what their baseline is. Because people will think that it's sort of the mechanics of some anatomic region that's causing the pain. But a lot of times, if we can get them to the baseline, get them off of that, we find that some opiates can cause hyperalgesia. If you're on too many opiate medications, you're actually more sensitive to pain. I could I can actually see that from from how sensitive I've been before in my life because of being addicted to opiates. I just the thing the thing that I really wonder is if if don't painkillers basically just make your head think that you're not hurting almost cuz I've heard this once before a theory that if you give some if somebody has like something hurt or swollen or sprained on their body and they take ibuprofen ibuprofen kills the pain by taking the swelling down but if you take vicodin vicodin just tells your head you don't hurt and then you basically are walking on an injury is that at all true when you think yeah when you think about what things like um, motrin do they bring down inflammation right and inflammation will cause pain inflammation is also implicated in things like depression and all sorts of other disease so treating inflammation is a great uh, a great way to try to address pain. I've had patients tell me that have been on opiates. They said, yeah, I, I, I still have the pain. I just don't quite care about it as much. Mm-hmm. And that's well, kind of the way they experience it. Yeah, because I, I, well, I think, and that's the thing about naltrexone, especially if it lasts six months or 12 months, is the longer you can stay clean and the longer you can fight those cravings off, because, I mean, it's a vicious disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean the more of a chance you have, I think, at long-term recovery. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually what you just said, hit the nail on the head for me. Um, I had been involved in uh, for t- 20 years, a little bit more than that, in, in addiction in some way, shape, or form. And uh, when I heard about My Life Recovery Centers um, about two years ago, I've been with them for about two years, um, it actually sounded too good to be true for a lot of reasons. Um one, um, you, well, you've described, I've heard a couple of shows that you did, and you talked about how, you know, when you're in a certain place, you you may walk into a treatment center or a rehab or whatever, and they don't quite fit the need for everything. You sometimes want more or need more, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so everyone's at a different place in their disease. Um, one of the things that I heard here was um, how quickly the naltrexone work. And I thought, man, what is this? You know, what is this thing that could do that for somebody, right? Um, in my experience, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too, um, when someone wants to get clean, you're looking at the first 90 days of total torture, right? Mm-hmm. Like anhedonia, physical. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, it's crazy, right? People are um, emotional roller coasters, they have physical symptoms, um, and it's really torture while they're trying to do this major shift in their life, right, and get their life back and get healthy. Um, and all these things are working against them. 
And one of the things about uh, this particular program it, with naltrexone um, implanted under the skin is, like we said, it's working no matter what, right? And sort of how I see it is um, naltrexone either gets rid of the cravings or drastically diminishes them enough that you feel sane enough and present enough to do all the other things that you need to do. And when you're talking 6 to 12 months, and you, you already talked about this, about the support need. We all know that everybody, you know, there's more than just the cravings at, at stake here. Right. The psychosocial piece, um, the habits, the triggers, the patterns, the social stuff, what you said about going back into everything that's still there, the same four walls, the same stuff that, you know, you were feeling before. Right. Um, so... What My Life Recovery Center has done that is very unique uh, to any other form of using naltrexone. Um, naltrexone is being uh, talked about more, um, like today, yeah. um, <laughs> and on lots of other things I'm hearing more. I'd never heard about it before. Um, I heard about the pill form, and that didn't work, and the doctors wouldn't prescribe it for all the reasons you guys talked about. Right. Um, and so people just not being aware of it. But one of the things is that it, um, it starts to work so quickly and so effectively that some people, for a second, think they got this right and anybody who really understands addiction knows you never just got yeah. this right and it's scary if you think that yeah. yeah so my life recovery centers took um all the components that were necessary and i'd never seen this in another program before so thoroughly so what i love about it is no matter what stage you're at if you're just someone who maybe got their first dui last weekend and is scared to death and you need help and you're coming in at that level or someone who's been using for 40 50 years and is about to die um anyone on that spectrum we're able to take a look at and to help. So um, as you look at doing the program, we have a detox um, portion that if you are um, eligible for that, can do detox at home with supervision with our medical support. So that's one option that sometimes isn't available. Often, as, as you guys were just talking about the need medically, sometimes that's so critical, right? And so programs like Sierra T Tucson are um, so useful for that, and it's necessary. And getting the word out that detox can be dangerous. So what we do is an assessment. Are you in a place that you could do detox at home or do you need a, an inpatient? Um, then we've got the naltrexone that we talked about and how fantastic that is. It's the most effective thing I've ever seen. But in addition to that, what we provide, then this, I think this is unique. Um, it's a, a sober coaching. So different than therapy or counseling. Okay. So and is it, is it different from like having a sponsor? You know, it kind of crosses that line. It kind of gets into sort of a sponsor, but more more in depth. Mm -hmm. um, and this was such a unique experience. And this was something I was so surprised about when I came here in love, um, that truly every patient is treated on an individualized um, way. We're looking at how can we customize this program for this patient. Um, and when I was doing drug and alcohol counseling before, many times, and most programs have a curriculum, right? You're in week one. You should be focused on this. You're in week yeah, two. Yeah, you and you're in a big this, group. Right? It's you're, not about you. Yep. It's the whole group, yes. you know, whether you've seen this Terry Gorski video or not, you're watching it. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And they've been doing the same thing for 10 years yeah. right? or more. Um, and when I was a lead counselor um, at a Salvation Army uh, rehab, we I wrote the curriculum there. So I know, you know, they have these canned things. And if you've ever been a drug and alcohol counselor, worked in these programs, you know there is no one-size-fits-all for everyone. There just isn't. People have different needs. So I love what My Life Recovery Centers does is we look at each patient individually. They're set up with a, a sober coach right from the beginning. So you come in the program, you're going to go through the program, you've made the decision, and immediately you get a coach. And that coach is going to look that most of them are in recovery themselves. So they have that personal experience along with being um, certified, whether they're a drug and alcohol counselor or they are a um, marriage family therapist or LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. And they're going to talk with that patient about what their triggers are. And the focus, instead of this long-term sort of curriculum, is more what is it going to take 
to have you be clean and sober today. What is going on in your life? What are your trigger stressors and things that are going on in your life today? What are we going to do today? And you put together a plan. And then you do that for the next day. And then you do that for the next day. So they have... Do they meet daily? I was going to say, they have weekly sessions. Oh, okay. But most patients have contact um, more often than that, often daily and sometimes several times a week, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. If somebody wanted to meet in person more than once a week, we do that. Um, Another thing that I think is fantastic is whatever the need is. If if that means a daily meeting, we'll do a daily meeting. If that means you only need it for three months, we'll do three months. If you need it for a year or more, we have some of our patients a year and a half who are highly successful, but they know that that coaching really helps them stay accountable and they are still doing the coaching. Um, So it's really adaptable. And the coaches are all extremely uh, creative in the solutions. And it's really a partnering. So instead of a therapist saying, okay, I think you should do the X, Y, and Z, it's more about what's going to work. You work together. And if that patient gets a suggestion and they try it and it didn't work, they come back and they say, tried it, didn't work, let's regroup, right? And so it's a real partnership. Um, and I feel like it gets down to the nitty gritty because our coaches are mostly in recovery themselves. They oh, that's truly great. get it, right? Um, and so they really get to the depth of um, – being direct, understanding, you know, um, seeing between the lines. Sometimes when you're early in recovery, right, it's hard to be honest with yourself. You're not used to that. You're not seeing the same thing. So having somebody else there to see your blind spots and help you maneuver through them um, in a different way than you've done before. Um, And it's just a really creative approach that I'd not seen before. That Um, is a cool idea. I mean, because we all know you can't do it alone. Yeah, So absolutely. Well, really quick, though, let me give out these phone numbers. Um, But My Life Recovery Center is, is... you, are you guys located in Sacramento? But could you be anywhere and anywhere and use it? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually started in Walnut Creek here in Northern California, and we now have 13 centers across the country. Okay. Um, and if somebody isn't located close to one of those centers, we will work with them to get them to one, the center that's closest to them and and work out the logistics there. Oh, okay. I see. So let me. Have, I'll give out this. This 800 number is 888-682-4931. That's My Life Recovery Centers. 888-682-4931. If you or anyone you know is addicted to opiates or any drug or is coming out of a treatment center and needs aftercare, because frankly, you do. If you're coming out of a treatment center and need aftercare, you should give them a call. Uh, Sierra Tucson, obviously, like a famous treatment center. Uh, Dr. Mike Genovese here, the chief medical officer. You can call them at 800 842 4487. That's 800 842 I think these are great treatment options. They are. They're great. You know what? I think it, it's we're starting to really recognize that addiction is a disease. People are accepting that. And when I was in medical school, there were still doctors that were looking at it as a moral failing and yelling at patients. You know, it was. Sadly, I still know people who think like that. They see it as a weakness. It's horrifying. So now we're saying, okay, listen, it's a disease. Let's treat it like a disease. Let's use medication. Just like my wife is a family medicine doctor, right? And if you came to her with a chronic disease like diabetes or hypertension, of course, first you're going to try things like exercise and diet modification. But. If your blood sugars are still consistently elevated, at some point you need medication to help you with the exercise and the diet modification and everything else. Addiction is no different. It's a chronic disease. And just like Chloe was saying, we see it as something that needs multiple modalities and there's no one cookie cutter method to treat it. You have to individualize it towards your patient 
and give them the best supports that you have. And sometimes for patients, um, I really like this approach as well that, that My Life Recovery is focused on, is somebody comes in, we really want to help as many people as we can. And so if you have different needs than what we're able to provide, we will work with and partner with other facilities. So like Sierra Tucson or Lyric that you had on your program and yeah. from San Jose. Right. Um, and we look at these residential treatment centers. And there's a couple different ways that um, we've worked with um, detox facilities, IOP programs, um, and rehabs. Um, one is that some people who have this, you, I don't know what exactly the background of your experience, but my experience has been from everyone that I know. Most people will say that it took them an average of 10 times of attempts to get clean and sober before, before they actually did. That It's multiple times. Oh, it's it probably rip. more than that. But okay. yeah, yeah, for me, yeah, no, <laughs> that, right? definitely. So it's, it's it, there's so many um, ways to try to go about it. And, so, and people are coming into this where they they feel like a failure almost, right? They're like, well, why is this going to work? Yeah, why is this well, going to be Well, especially because sometimes your family makes you go. Yes. Or you go because you want you need your car back. You go because you don't want your relationship mm-hmm. to end. You yeah. go because you don't want to lose your kids. Or the judge that tells you. Yeah, you or to, the right? judge yeah tells you you're going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that I can totally understand that makes it hard to stay clean and sober when you get out of the facility because you didn't go in there because you wanted to get clean. Right. Exactly. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. So what we're looking at is what does that that person need? And if, if we can partner with other facilities, um, we do that. Um, one way of doing that is doing the implant prior to going into uh, an IOP program or a rehab or a residential. Um, because if you if you think about it, if the naltrexone is taking care of those cravings, how much better are you going to be at that program and actually making it through to the end? Right. Because right. so many people bail because they have cravings because they got to go drink or use, right? Yeah. And they don't make it. Um, and so it helps people be more successful in those programs if they're needing that kind of care. Um, and on the back end, if they've gone through a program, and like what you said, then they go home and it's the same stuff, you know, and needing help ongoing. So we've had people go directly from being in a program to our center to have the implant so that it sets them up for long term and then also the additional supports that they get there. And then we also work with um, any other uh, programs that are out there that will help long term that do support. So whether that's a 12-step focus or Celebrate Recovery or Smart Recovery or any of those. So um, we try to have as many referrals and resources that are going to help the patient as possible. Um, what I found in my experience is most of the people that come through, because the implant, the naltrexone implant works so well, and then having the coach uh, for 6 to 12 months and then all the suggestions that come out of that, most people are able to just do that. A high percentage of our patients are very successful with just doing that. But it's great that we have these other options and avenues for people who need them so that mm-hmm. they don't feel like, oh, this particular thing I can't do, so then what? Now I failed again, so I might as well go use. Exactly. Right? So we try to get them in and supported in a multifaceted way from whatever's going to help that particular person. Which is fantastic because, I fa- you know, as, as, as hopefully as treatment becomes more and more recognized, more and more utilized, more and more people get it, you're going to be seeing more and more people who have comorbidities. So once you stop using, then you recognize, oh, they've also, they're suffering from depression. So they should really yeah. be seeing a psychiatrist. Or they've really got an underlying anxiety, and that's what's yeah. fueling their use. So now they can see a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist and work on all of them, not just that one part of them. That's the great thing about long-term treatment is it's like all your other issues, when you take away the drug, I know all your other issues come out. I went through this the, uh, one treatment center um, called Impact in Los Angeles. They were very hardcore. It was, it was. They didn't want to like give anyone special attention. They were more like very not quite attack therapy, but everybody in there had come straight out of prison, and it was more like 
you know, if somebody said, well, I, I need this, they would go, oh, you're terminally unique. <laughs> you know, right, it's like, right. but so they weren't, they didn't have so much of like a, a, of a caring approach to it, I think. But the, but the guy said they, the one thing they did do, they watched everybody eat when you ate you had to sit there for 30 minutes after you ate and i was like why do we have to do this like why can't we go smoke and he was saying because people put down the spoon and they pick up the fork and what he was saying was they put it like heroin cooking spoon and then they start eating right he's like the minute the minute you take away their addictions all the other ones come out whether it's people trying to fool around with each other in the broom closet Mm -hmm. or girls throwing up after they eat you know, which is why we had to sit there in the cafeteria after we ate. But but also depression. I mean, all that stuff comes up. And I think because of opiates, maybe you're not actually a depressed person, but you're going to have depression when you stop taking opiates. Like, there's you can't get that euphoria from some fake thing and expect your body to produce it naturally when you stop. It's so complicated. I'll tell you, at Sierra Tucson, we have five programs, right? We have an eating recovery program. We have an addictions program, a mood program, a trauma program, and a complex pain program. And the thing about it is very few people, if any, fit very neatly into one of those programs. Right. So everybody ends up getting input from all the different programs because people are complex. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's what people have failed to recognize for a long time. People just say, okay, you're an addict, so here's what you do. Well, that's not it. You're a person who's suffering with addiction among other things. So let's treat you as an entire person. One of the one of the principal foci of integrative medicine, which is what we purport to treat is treat the whole person the individual person and the whole person and the medical students that we have we have medical students from the university of arizona that we treat that we treat that we teach right <laughs> uh, and they get sick of hearing me say treat the whole person and the individual person but you have to keep repeating that because it really is true everybody is different yeah and i know it, it is um I, I made reference to Terry Gorski earlier. I went through one of his treatment centers mm-hmm. in Southern California. And, I mean, he really did have a good point. It's a biopsychosocial disease. Absolutely. It affects all of your life. You know, and I, I appreciate that people are now actually realizing that it it is a disease. It's a disease just like cancer. It's mm-hmm. Like, I, I have an allergic reaction. If I pick up a drink or a drug, my body wants more. And there's nothing I can do about that. And I can be sober for 50 years. And I can I know, because I know myself now, if I pick up a drug in 50 years, I'm going to be right back to square one. Mm-hmm. But right. not even square one. It will be probably as if I had been using the whole time. I right. mean, I, that's happened every time in my life I've relapsed. It's just the disease is still there. And it's so important to... to to work on healing all those aspects. And I see commercials for treatment centers and these make me sick because they're not really treatment centers. It's like a Pilates place yes. where you they, you yes. pay a hundred thousand dollars and they stretch you out yeah. and feed you, you know, gluten free food or whatever yeah. they do. And it's ride like, horses. Right. Yeah, I know. It's like where's the therapy in there? Where's the treatment? Absolutely. And I like the fact that you use the word healing as opposed to cure. Because people ask me about this all the time. They say, Well, are are you gonna cure people with addiction? I don't even use the word cure with cardiovascular disease. I don't use the word, you know, you talk about people being in remission from cancer for five years. Right. You talk about people being five years out from having their MI or whatever. But in all of medicine, we've always been focused on a cure where we, we should be really thinking about is helping someone heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's so much healing to do. There's so much. I mean, that's why I think recovery is so important to me is because 
there's so much I've created. There's so much junk I've created in my mm-hmm. life that I will always need to clean up. And there's, I, you know, it's like some people, like as far as relationships goes, I hear people say, you know, they have a broken picker. They're just going to mm-hmm. pick the wrong person always, yeah, you know? Exactly. And it's like all of those needs need to be addressed. And like uh, WRA, the treatment center I was talking about that I went through that was very long term and that I had good results with, they had two different programs. One, um, was for just addicts who didn't have any other any other issues, and then there was they call themselves the dualies, or the dual mm-hmm. diagnosis ones, right. and they all had depression, OCD, eating disorders, sex addiction. I mean, what like shoplifting addictions? They they all mm-hmm. had, and so they were. And the reason they separated us is because they were on medication, so that you know some mm-hmm. of them were on Wellbutrin or you know Paxil or whatever they were on, and then the other ones of us didn't. Because I always felt. You know, it sometimes depression and those kind of things can come up when you have a year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily. It's not like you detox and that you know that takes seventy two hours to detox from cocaine, and then and then after seventy two hours, you're like, oh, here's the depression. I mean, you don't know when it's going to pick up. Yeah, the other thing about separating people like that too, I, I, the real world doesn't work that way. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't get exactly. to go to a shopping center where people don't take Wellbutrin. Right? Yes. Like, so I think that the community of people all working together, recognizing we all have more in common than that which separates us, and starting with that focus and then going on, continuing with that, leads to better outcomes down the line, leads to people being more open to other people. I agree. And also I think it's very helpful for the people who do have a dual diagnosis because when you separate them, what I noticed when I watched it was they got this this special type thing where they're like, well, I have, you know, like the cast I'm wearing. That was their dual diagnosis. Well, I have this cast, so I'm going to do this. It was like, you know, like, no, you don't get to be special because you have something, you know? It's right. like we all have something. I heard uh, – uh, a speaker at a meeting the other day, I thought this was really great. She said, you know, like, it's not poor me. Why is this happening to me? You know, life happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people just deal with it better than others. And yeah. it's all about learning how to cope and learning how to deal. And the addiction and alcoholism is a disease. As I always say, it's the only one you can get yelled at for having. <laughs> but it is a disease, you know? Yeah. And it, it should be treated as such. I want to give out these phone numbers again. Um, My Life Recovery Centers is 888 682 4931 Sierra Tucson is 800-842-4487. If you have anything to add, questions, comments, observations, visitations from God, you can call or text 415-496-9511 or you can email Radio Rehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Radio Rehab Dana. Um, I just... We're running out of time here. I just want to thank you guys so much for coming. Again, in case you're just tuning in, our guests were Dr. Michael Genovese, who's the chief medical officer at Sierra Tucson, and Chloe O'Reilly, who is the lead patient advocate and director at My Life Recovery Centers. I've, I've, this show, like I said, means so much to me as an opiate addict. I've lost so many friends. Um, I just, on Facebook the other day, a friend of mine, you know, just posted, I hate this disease. And everybody mm-hmm. knew what she was talking about. Yeah. Another one died. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who was just at an NA convention happy is now gone. Yeah. And that didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what if 
what if he had the naltrexone implant? He'd be alive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I had the same experience. And one of the things that I, I want to make sure that we get in here is some of the people um, that end up not making it often don't reach out for help because they're in a situation where they feel like they can't tell anyone. So whether that means that you have a job, a police officer, a fireman, an elected official, a CEO, CEO of a worldwide corporation, for instance, who would get fired or let go if they had the disease. And there's many other examples like that. Um, one of the things that My Life Recovery Centers does is really protect the anonymity and confidentiality. Every one of our centers has um, two exits. Patients don't have to see each other. We really protect them. We have that's people that great. it's awesome. That's right? really great. So that's a segment of the population that sometimes gets overlooked. I mean, even doctors and nurses who need treatment are, you know, filled with so much shame to admit that, right? So they just don't want anyone to know. And our staff at each center is really uh, small. We have maybe two or three people there at a time. So we're really able to protect that if somebody really needs that. And we have lots of people call say, I don't even want to tell you my name to like get there. Can I come in the back <laughs> door? So you know? So we really work well with with that. So I just want to make sure we get that out to listen. That's well. great. Yeah. I mean, if you if you write or call anywhere, your anonymity will will be respected. I mean, especially by these people. These are very reputable programs and I think it's awesome that you guys came to the show and I really hope the word gets out there. And if you're listening and you're depressed or you're addicted or you're hurting, please, please call for help. Anybody. You can call either Sierra Tucson, you can call My Life Recovery Centers, you could write into the show and I will direct you to where you need to go if you live somewhere other than California. Um, I just want to say thanks again so much for coming. I think this is this was great. I, I'm sure a lot of people got a lot out of it. Well, thank you for having this forum. Um, really, in my 20 plus years, this is the thing that works better than anything else. If someone wants to get clean and sober, I would say start here. The success rates are much higher than the other programs I've ever seen. Um, pretty phenomenal. So thank you for the forum for, yeah. for getting the word out. Thank welcome. you, Dana. Thanks for getting the word out there. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll